when I found out I was pregnant, I was completely shocked and not in a particularly good place in my life. I was young and in school, but also just had absolutely no idea who I was and was trying to figure all of that out when, you know, those two pink lines showed up and I panicked. There's a really, really great quote by Pope John Paul. He said, to adopt a child is a great work of love. When it is done, much is given, but much is also received. It is a true exchange of gifts. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast from the USCCB about how real people live out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. Today, listeners, we're talking about adoption in all its complexity. We're going to start with a courageous woman who is a birth mother. My name is Kate, and I'm a a wife and mom, and I am a stay-at-home mom to two young children, my son and daughter. I am a part of this podcast on adoption because I am a birth mom to a little boy. Kate's baby boy became Elizabeth's son. You'll meet her later in this episode. Kate and I talked about how she chose them out of the many families that were out there seeking to adopt. There were a couple different variables that helped me decide, okay, this is them. And the things that stuck out to me the most were how they described each other, just the way they talked about each other and the way they described their marriage. When reading that, I thought, I really want to have that one day, that kind of a marriage, and how important their faith was to them was a big sticking point for me. If I could have raised him myself, those are the qualities and the values that would have been important, and as well as that that love from a two-parent family, I felt like they were the ones. And it also helped that they'd actually been through the adoption process already, and They'd adopted a child who would be very close in age and that there would be at least one sibling. Having grown up with siblings, that also meant something to me and helped me reach to that, aha, this is them. This is absolutely the family decision. After Kate chose the family for her son, they met to talk things over at Chili's, as you do. I actually remember everything about that day. I remember meeting at a restaurant that was close to the highway because we both had to do some driving, and we kind of met halfway. And it was at a Chili's, and I had the Southwestern egg rolls. I remember that vividly because they're amazing. And also, anytime I go to Chili's, I have to get them now. And I remember that day (laughs) every time I do. So we're in this crowded, loud restaurant talking about such an intimate, serious topic, but it just felt like that was the way it was supposed to go and I was just so out of my out of my mind nervous. And then when you're when you're pregnant you have to pee constantly. So I remember getting up and going back and forth and back and forth to the restroom and just having to catch my breath just to calm down and calm my nerves a little. Because as much as they were probably trying to give the best impression to me, I was also trying to do the same. The couple Kate chose became a vital support for her. Just having that unconditional love from them 
even when I wasn't handling it well, is what made all the difference in the end. One of the misconceptions that Kate wants to dispel is the idea that once you've placed a child for adoption, this defines your future or precludes your being a good mom one day. And it's one that I personally struggled with, that choosing adoption because you were, for whatever number of reasons, you weren't ready to be a parent then, that it's defining thing for you as, as a mother in the future, that you're not going to be able to be ready to be a parent down the road, or that it, it makes you a bad person or defective in some way. And I, I think is one of the marks of a good parent, is being able to recognize that you're not ready and making a tough decision that's not about you. It's about this child. I think that means that you're going to be pretty awesome later on when you are ready emotionally, financially, and you have the maturity to parent your child that you're going to be able to handle it just fine. We're going to come back to Kate in a little bit. Now we'll turn to a few women who became mothers through adoption, starting with my former coworker. I went out to her house. Hi, my name is Bethany Miola. I used to work at the USCCB with Sarah in the Lady Marriage Family Life and Youth Office as one of the assistant directors. Now I am fortunate to be a stay-at-home mom to our daughter, Zelly, who is almost eight months old. And I'm married to my husband, Dan, for about six and a half years, and we live in Maryland. Bethany and Dan have always wanted to have children. I actually remember one of our first dates, it came up, you know, oh, you know, how many kids do you want to have? And I think one of us, I forget who, but responded, I want enough kids to fill a church pew. <laughs> that was kind of the vision. So right from the get-go, yeah, we definitely knew we'd, we'd love to have kids I and mean, we'd love to have a, a big family, God willing. But it turned out that wasn't God's plan. Yeah, we realized pretty early on that, you know, kids weren't going to come as quickly as we had hoped they would. Because we had both checked the NFP classes, we felt really confident to know the signs and the fertile times and all that. And so by six months, I mean, that's when NFP says, like, well, if you haven't conceived and you've been trying, you might want to look into some medical help. So that would have been around Christmas because we got married in May. So I, I definitely remember the first Christmas just already being, you know, disappointing as a lot of our friends had kids and, you know, it was not happening for us and... We tried for a while longer. We ended up doing some medical things probably about a year and a half, two years in it for about two years. So that was a lot of doctor's visits and tests and certain treatments. And I ended up having two surgeries. I was privileged to witness Bethany and Dan's adoption journey from beginning to end. There are lots of myths out there about adoption. By the way, Bethany's daughter is appearing on her first podcast today, as you will definitely hear her as we talk about her. There's like the myth that it's really easy. So if anybody ever says like, oh, you're, you know, you want to have kids and it hasn't happened, like, well, why don't you just adopt? Uh, that's definitely a phrase that really never should be said ever because there's really no, there's no just adopt. It definitely, it takes time. It takes money. It takes a lot of discernment. So I think that's one myth that somehow, you know, the sense that there's a lot of kids out there and it's almost like a supermarket and you just put your name on the list and then go pick out your kid. It's not like that at all. There are also some more negative myths. 
all the really negative things, the myth that, you know, you're not going to love this child because you haven't given birth to that child. Some of the more extreme things like that, we also kind of learned just to respond and give some accurate information. And then also that if this is the Lord's will for your family, then he'll bring you and the child together. That's kind of, that's what we prayed for. Uh, <laughs> that was perfect timing. Oh I talked with Bethany about the prayerful discernment that she and Dan undertook. The first thing to discern is, do you want to adopt domestically? Do you want to adopt internationally? Do you want to look at foster care? Foster care is kind of its own thing, too, because the whole point of foster care is helping kids get reunited with their birth families. It's a beautiful calling. Sometimes those kids do end up being adopted by the families that are caring for them, but that's not the first, that's not the goal with foster care. But again, you know, couples can discern that that's really where the Lord's calling them to care for children. So the first thing we figured out was that we wanted to do domestic. We really wanted the chance to adopt a newborn, which generally doesn't happen with international adoption. But we really wanted to have, you know, all the little firsts that come with seeing your child really at day one or close to it. And then we also wanted a chance for our child to know their birth family, which again doesn't happen as much with international. Then she and Dan chose an adoption agency in their state to work with, as well as places around the country where they would share their information and their hope about adoption. There are a lot of steps required by prospective parents, including a ton of paperwork, fingerprints, background checks, meetings with a social worker, medical checks and disclosures, in-person references, so many things. There's also a home inspection to make sure the home is a safe place. Part of the home study is getting a fire inspection by the county to make sure that your home is safe. Well, apparently our county just has very strict standards. <laughs> and my husband, who was home doing the inspection, had to physically remove an entire window from the wall to show that it could be done, which of course we've never done because how? what are you going to remove a whole window from your wall? And then he had to put it back in. And he couldn't get it back in. And thankfully, the inspector still passed him. And then we had to figure out later, how do we get this window back into our wall? So yeah, there's a lot. It's kind of just one example of a lot of the hoops that you jump through to do the home study. By the end of this process, you and your spouse and your relationship are more or less completely exposed. Our social worker ended up being wonderful. But she probably knows more about us than most of our close friends do because <laughs> there's really nothing that's off limits that they want to talk about, which makes sense because they're trying to objectively evaluate you. The whole point is to make sure you're ready to adopt. You have a really clear sense of what's involved in it. You've thought about parenting. You've thought about what impact this will have on your family, on your extended, extended family. And then it also is a chance for for you to be evaluated to make sure that you're in a good place financially, mentally, um, that you're going to be a stable home for a child that, that needs a home. I asked Bethany about their prayers at this time. I think we took things one at a time. So as decisions came up, we would take those to prayer, praying about what, what kind of adoption are we called to. Prayers throughout the home study process as Challenges came up, you know, one time our forms, that original forms got lost in the mail. <laughs> that was a lot of prayers to St. Anthony to find those forms, just little things here and there. And then, of course, when we got through the home study and onto the matching process, so while we were waiting for us to be matched with the potential birth mother, that was definitely the most intensive time of prayer. And it also just felt a lot more real because, you know, we were praying for a specific person out there 
for our future child, God willing, and also his or her birth parents and whatever challenges they were going through. And really making it concrete like that in our prayer helped a lot. Um, it helped it not feel so abstract, but, you know, this is these are real people facing real challenges, and this could be our, our child down the road. So just praying for an open heart, praying for the Lord's will to be done. Now, I know you're curious to know how there came to be a sweet eight-month-old in Bethany's lap as I interviewed her, but I'm going to stay on the topic of preparing to adopt with another adoptive mother first. My name is Elizabeth Kirk. My husband and I have been married for, gosh, almost 14 years. I had to think about that for a second. And we have four children, 10 and under. All marriages, of course, experience crosses. We experience the cross of infertility. And through the blessing of that cross, we were led to our vocation to adoption. Elizabeth talks about fruitfulness in marriage. So every couple is called to be fruitful. What that looks like within the context of a particular marriage is something that has to be discerned and prayed about, etc. As someone who's experienced infertility, I think I would say that it's very hurtful when people say, well, you know, you can always adopt as if it's just a presumption that if you're infertile, that will be your next step. Elizabeth puts adoption into the context of Catholic social teaching. To me, calling adoption a great work of love and a true exchange of gifts, it captures all of those strains of Catholic social teaching, the importance of self-gift, that we only truly become ourselves through a sincere gift of ourselves, that we're supposed to welcome the stranger. And in the case of adoption, welcoming the stranger becomes a sort of radical act of love because you welcome a child into your home to be your son or daughter. Elizabeth and her husband, Bill, like to say that every child comes into a family through some kind of labor. The waiting to be matched, and then once matched, the sort of uncertainty, the natural fears and concerns about whether the birth mom might change her mind, and, you know, just the kind of emotional challenges that the process inherently involves. For us, that's our labor. My husband says that he ha- he has to do the labor, too. Well, that's the thing that makes it different from, from conventional childbearing. The time of waiting is a special time for our marriage. Any time that you make yourself vulnerable to another person, it can bear tremendous fruit. I mean, we see this ultimately on the cross. The most fruitful act of all time was this incredible act of suffering and self-gift. But for us... That time of waiting has been a time for Bill and I to grow closer to one another, and it's also been a very beautiful experience to grow closer to the birth mother. I think one thing that isn't emphasized enough in adoption is that it's very important for adoptive parents never to objectify the birth mother as a means to a child. In a good adoptive situation, everyone remembers the human dignity of everyone else. The birth mother herself is in a very vulnerable position and often feels insecure or unwanted herself. Elizabeth shares a story about this vulnerability. When one of our children was born very prematurely, the baby's grandmother called us to let us know that the labor was proceeding. And we could just hear in her voice that there was some kind of challenge and we didn't know whether this meant the birth mom might be changing her mind or whatever. And my husband finally said, you know, please just tell us, we can we can tell something's wrong, please tell us what's on your mind. The grandmother said that the social worker at the hospital 
had said to them, now keep in mind, since this baby's going to be so premature, the adoptive parents may back out, which of course is true and, and happens from time to time. But they felt very vulnerable and were worried about what our reaction to the baby's prematurity might be. And my husband just said to her, listen, if you want us to be this baby's parents, we are this baby's parents. It would be no different if Elizabeth was pregnant with this baby, and this baby is our child. If you choose it, this baby is our child. Whatever happens, whatever challenges, this baby is our child. She was so relieved. And again, it was another opportunity for us to all grow closer together. Let's hear that story from the other side. Here's Kate again. I was at class that day, and I was sitting there taking a test, and I remember feeling funny. And it was a little early, so I was hoping it was just typical pregnancy indigestion, that kind of fun stuff. But it was actually the beginning stages of labor, and I was several weeks early. So I was very nervous, and I had to go to the hospital that pain didn't stop. And they confirmed that, yes, you are very much in labor, and, yes, this is happening now. And I was absolutely scared out of my mind. But the first thing I said to my mom who was there with me was, you need to call them. Call them right now. And I wanted them to come as soon as possible. Right after I had that conversation, a social worker comes in and asks me a few questions. And it seems pretty the obligatory answers and questions that a social worker would ask until she mentions, hey, do you realize that your child coming early, that there's the possibility that this is almost even hard to say because it was just so shocking to hear that the adoptive parents might change their mind. I hadn't even thought about them possibly changing their minds. So I'm terrified. And I spoke to his adoptive dad later, and it really made me feel like you're not alone. We are here. We're going to be there. Don't worry. I think this story is a small taste of how adoption should be a process that acknowledges the complexity of the situation, the vulnerability of everyone involved, and the possibility of an openness that enriches all sides. A lot of people, when they ask my husband and I about our adoption experience, have concerns about open adoption. The trend in the last 30 to 40 years has been towards an openness in the adoption process. Openness typically means some level of sharing of personal contact information. It can be as little as knowing one another's identity, sharing updates and photos at certain intervals, all the way toward visits, weekends together, birthday parties together, that sort of thing. There's a spectrum of what openness means. And I think a lot of people, when they hear open adoption, they instantly think it's sort of an equivalent to co-parenting, and they, they worry that that's something that they don't feel comfortable with. I think what's important for people to realize is that there is a spectrum, and the adoption process allows you to state your preference, what level of openness you're sort of interested and willing to accommodate, and it also allows the birth parent to state their preference for what level of openness they want. Some birth parents really don't want much continued contact beyond updates and that sort of thing. But the research shows that some level of openness is healthy for all of the parties. It helps the birth parents to heal, to have peace and consolation about their decision to place their child. It also allows the child who 
is going to have very natural questions about their identity, especially as they grow older, to have a richer and fuller understanding of where they came from and why they're in the family they're in and that sort of thing. They adopted three children privately. Their fourth child came to them in a different way. We felt called to, as a family, do some sort of ministry. You know, my husband and I, we have three. We had three little kids at the time. It was very difficult for us to do sort of classic corporal works of mercy because it meant we had to get a babysitter or one of us couldn't go or something like that. So we really wanted to look for some kind of ministry that we could do as a family. And we came across an organization that, that is nationwide called Safe Families for Children. And it's an organization that seeks to help families who are in crisis so that they don't fall into the foster care system. So you can imagine a situation of a single mom who might have a health crisis she goes to the hospital, she leaves her nine-year-old in charge of her five-year-old or something, and a neighbor calls, and next thing you know, they're taken away from her. And if she had just had a network to help her with her children, then that wouldn't have happened. So that's just sort of an example of the kind of situation that Safe Families for Children seeks to assist with. So we decided to become a host family for families in crisis. We would host in our home children of various ages for typically short periods of time. And it was through that ministry that we were actually connected to a sort of atypical situation to a little guy who was in foster care, but his foster parents needed some respite care. And so we became the respite care providers. We had to go through additional approvals through the state to become licensed to provide that respite care. And then eventually, through some set of circumstances in his family, he became eligible for adoption and because of the relationship that we had developed with the family, we were considered as a potential adoptive parent. And so we actually became his first his foster parents and then adopted him. Elizabeth points out that she and her husband were living out their marriage, not with physical procreation, but definitely with the other half of what marriage is ordered toward. So marriage is ordered towards the creation and education of children. And those two pieces, you know, are integral to what being a parent is, and adoption includes that as well. And this education for Elizabeth and Bill includes talking with their kids about adoption. There are a lot of misconceptions about adoption, and there are narratives out there that I think are harmful. So when we talk to our children, we really try to say things that avoid reinforcing those kinds of narratives. So we try to avoid things like saying, your birth mom gave you up for adoption. Anything that would make them feel that they were abandoned or that they weren't wanted or that they were somehow a problem. Instead, we try to focus on the real fact. This is not a spin on the story, but we try to focus on the real fact that each of them was loved tremendously, tremendously, so much so that their birth mothers, whatever circumstances led each individual woman to conclude that she was not able to parent, that she did what any loving mother would do, and that was find a safe and loving place for her child. And so we talk about how our family is a gift of their birth family. Together, all of us love them. Elizabeth stresses the importance of honesty. It's very important to us to be honest with our children at each and every stage of their development. So there's never going to be a moment where our children can identify as the moment at which they found out they were adopted. 
Here's one of the beautiful practices that the Kirk family adopted. We also pray for their birth parents by name every single night. So they understand that these are real people out there that love them. Now, before we get back to Bethany from the beginning of the show, we're going to hear an adoption story that is pretty unusual. My name is Dr. Deborah Savage. I'm a faculty member at the St. Paul Seminary School of Divinity, where I teach philosophy and theology and also direct a couple of lay programs. Deborah and her husband, Andrew, married later in life, and children did not come despite their fervent desire for them. Deborah felt at some point that she could not live without children, but for various reasons, conventional adoption was not really available to them. So I started to pray, and I prayed for six years, holy hours and everything, and all I would say to Jesus was, if you send me a baby, I'll take it. I don't know what else you want me to do. And we were already by some accounts, too old to adopt. So I thought that was my only option, was that somehow magically a baby would appear. And I kid you not, one day the phone rang. It was a family that we knew from a distance. I had met them once years before. I did not know them at all. And for some reason, their daughter, a young woman, still in high school, had become pregnant and thought of me. Wow. So the phone rings, I say hello, the woman on the other end of the line is this young woman's mother, and she says, so-and-so is pregnant, and I interrupted her to say, yes, I know why you're calling, because I knew immediately that she was going to say, will you take the child, and I said, yes, we'll take her. So she said, okay, and I said, so what kind of baby is it? She said, well, it's a girl, and I said, fine, her first name is Madeline then, because... (laughs) The night Andrew asked me to marry him, I said there was just one condition, and that was that the first girl's name needed to be Madeline, named after my grandmother. They called us called us on June 22nd, and Maddie was born August 9th. Deborah answered quickly. It was a miracle. Maddie was sent to us by Jesus directly. But Andrew was more hesitant. At a certain point, Andrew said, no, I don't think we can do it. I think we're too old. And I said, well, why don't we just move to Florida then and wait it out? I mean, you know, (laughs) we're done? (laughs) Deborah saw that she couldn't convince Andrew, so they called the family and said no. And the next day I woke up and I felt like I was in a black hole. I knew it had been the absolutely wrong decision. We went for a walk. We sat down next to a, a lake. And Andrew said, well, okay. Yesterday we went with my instincts. Today we'll go with yours. You decide. And I sat there and I thought about it. And I can tell anyone who's listening that it is not the kind of thing where you make a list of pros and cons. That's just not going to help, and it's not the point. It's a calculus that was deep in my body, and I knew the answer had to be yes. So Deborah and Andrew welcomed baby Madeline into their hearts and lives. I did not know you could love someone that much. Let's talk about the arrival of Zelly into my former coworker's life. Here's Bethany again. Early February, we got a call from one of our agencies saying there's a little girl who's due April 1st. Here's some information about the situation. Would you guys be interested? 
And that was pretty typical that we would get this little snippet of information and have a short amount of time to decide whether we want to say yes, we're, we're open to this situation or for whatever reason, okay, maybe not this one. So we prayed about it. We said yes. And then we waited and we ended up talking with Zelly's birth mom on the phone on February 20th, had about an hour conversation that just really felt so infused with grace. It was really incredible. I mean, a person that we don't know that we realized like we could end up adopting your child. You could choose us to, to raise your child forever. I mean, such a momentous thing. And we just felt like so relaxed in the moment, really enjoyed the conversation. And then the next day, the lawyer that was working with her called Dan to let him know that she had chosen us and wanted to move forward with us. So he called me at work, I think it was about three o'clock in the afternoon, um, and I just left. (laughs) And I worked close to where my husband works, so I just walked down the street to where he worked, and I was just like crying the entire way down the street. So I don't know what people thought. They were like passing me walking and like sobbing. Um, But I walked up to where he works and he works at a shrine. So we went into the little chapel and just, just thank the Lord for this gift, whatever would happen. I mean, we knew at that point it it wasn't certain, you know, she was could completely change her mind the next day and decide to parent or whatever. And our hearts were full with gratitude, even for the chance to say like, Lord, this is our child. We thank you and we praise you. And keep leading us every step of the way and it was extremely emotional (laughs) bethany and dan made plans to welcome their baby girl bethany had been working on a quilt the nursery was prepared and plane tickets were purchased we were at the hospital the day of her birth we met her birth mom which that in, in itself was really incredible kind of as a surprise her birth mom asked if i wanted to be in the operating room for zelly's birth Um, So I got to be there, got to hear her first little cries and get to see her, you know, right after birth, got to hold her right away. And that was completely unexpected. We didn't know at all what the whole hospital experience would be like. So to have those moments was just unbelievable. And then Dan got to see her shortly after that, got to help give her her first bath, her first diaper change. (laughs) And we ended up spending three days in the hospital in the same room with Zelly and her birth mom, which again, was just, it just felt like the time was stretching out in a really um, powerful way. We had a lot of time for conversation, getting to know each other more, of course, getting to know Zelly, getting to care for Zelly. So those are are really precious days and, you know, it doesn't always work out that way, but that's something that's always going to be really special to us. Bethany is an extremely thoughtful and giving person, so I was not surprised to hear what she and Dan had prepared for Zelly's birth mother. We had learned from our agency that something that can help birth parents is having tangible things, reminders of, of their child, and then they can do with that what, you know, what works best for them. But we um, gave her birth mom the outfit that Zelly went home from the hospital in. And we had actually brought along with us a box that we had painted and gave that to her as a keepsake box. So she kept things like the bracelet around Zelly's wrist from the hospital and her first little outfit, a little blanket, a little bow, a number of things that would would be for her, you know, tangible reminders of her child and things that she could she could keep and remember that time in in the hospital too yeah it was an outfit with little hippos on it pink pink hippos (laughs) our catholic faith rests on our adoption by god through his son jesus 
Adoption on Earth is a small reflection of this beautiful reality. In a gratuitous way, we all become part of a forever family. There was actually this moment, it was almost out of a movie, when I said goodbye to him and you know, I'm crying, the nurses in the special gear nursery are crying, and I see them waiting outside. And after I've told him goodbye, I walked out, and they walked in, and I turned around, and I looked through the glass and watched them walk over to him. They're both just standing over him with these huge smiles and all this joy and happiness and that that painful goodbye it just all felt it all felt okay in that moment watching them that this is this is going to be okay there's information about adoption on the usccb website foryourmarriage.org and i'm going to put a little snippet about safe families for children in a separate audio file if you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor. Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.